0: got your bibles and you
1: want to follow along turn with me to genesis chapter 13 uh in my bible study class on sunday mornings i'm going through genesis and um several months ago uh, I, I got to this genesis 13 and the lord taught me something um, that i hadn't i, I guess i knew he uh, it, it felt like it was time to reteach me i guess and uh and i knew then that one day i would preach it and so pastor henry called me a couple weeks ago and asked me to speak for him, and uh, so, so here we are. Genesis 13, the title of my message this morning is Choices. Um, back in October, in fact, it was the same uh, week that the hurricane hit, so while y'all were all going through that, Kathy and I were out in Colorado, uh, driving up through the mountains, and, and if you go on I-70 west of Denver, you cross something called the Continental Divide. And the Continental Divide is, is exactly what its name says it is. It's a, it's a high point of land or a, a ridge line that separates the, the North American continent. It goes up through South America, uh, runs up through the United States, and even goes into to Canada. And one of the interesting things about the Continental Divide is, I don't know if you knew this, but all the water to the west of the Continental Divide goes to the Pacific Ocean, and all the water to the east of the Continental Divide goes to the Atlantic. And it's said that, that up in Colorado, there's a creek or a stream that actually runs along the ridgeline for a ways, and it comes to a point where it separates. And some of the water goes to the, to the west, it, uh, eventually flows into the California, or Colorado River, goes to the Gulf of California, and eventually ends up in the, in the Pacific Ocean. The water that goes to the east eventually makes its way to the Mississippi River and then to the Gulf of Mexico, and eventually to the Atlantic Ocean. And the I think about that, I mean, just think about this. The, these drops of water are going along, and one of them goes to the left and one goes to the right. Just one small change in uh, direction makes a huge difference in our destination. Now, I bring that up this morning because our choices are a lot like those drops of water. You know, we're going through life, and sometimes it's these small choices that we make in daily life that can make such a huge difference in, in where we, we end up. I'll give you a couple examples. Let's just say somebody invites you to a, a dinner that they're giving for someone, and, and so you accept, no big deal, just another dinner, but you end up at that dinner meeting your spouse, your future husband, your future wife, and, and just that one choice to go to a dinner changed your destiny, and it created destinies for your children and grandchildren and on down the line. A young man... Uh, accepts a ride from a friend, no big deal, except it turns out that friend has been drinking and there's an accident that changes their lives forever. A young girl invited to a friend's Christmas party, no big deal, except it turns out when she gets to this party, she's alcohol and she makes another choice to drink and it lowers her inhibitions and a series of circumstances occur that will change their life forever. You see, we all know choices have consequences, don't we? That, that's, we, we get that. And it's, and, and it's a little bit scary, to be honest with you, that sometimes even the smallest choices can have huge consequences in our life. So the question for us is, how do we protect ourselves? How do we protect ourselves from making bad choices? How do we make sure we make good choices? Well, it turns out that Genesis 13 gives us, or teach, will teach us a lesson. And exactly that. Genesis thirteen is about two men. And they come to a point in their life where they have the choice, a choice. They both have the same choice that they need to make. One of them makes a choice and it leads to blessings and favor, and the other one makes a choice and it leads to absolute disaster. Now I'm gonna do something a little bit different this morning. How many of y'all have ever seen the, the television show Intervention? Uh, on TV. I see a few hands. I I used to watch show. I hadn't watched in a while, but when I first watched this show, it it really kind of grabbed a hold of me because of the format. And the show is, of course, about people who have real problems in their lives, drug addiction, alcohol addiction, uh, eating disorders, and they've come to the point where things are so bad that they actually need an intervention. They need somebody to step in and and try to turn their, their lives around. But what I liked about the show is the show would always open up and it would, they would show you that person at their very worst possible state. For example, if it was an alcoholic, the show would open up and the guy would be stumbling around in the gutter, just falling down drunk and, and, uh, you know, you, you, or if it was the, the drug addict, she'd be in the ER for, with her fifth overdose or something like that. The person with the eating disorder would be on death's door. And then they would stop. And they would go back in time and they would start when they were a child and they would go through their life and they would show the events and the choices that they made that led them to that point. Well, I want to do something a little bit like that this morning. In Genesis 13, we're going to be introduced to a man named Lot. Now, Lot, what I want to do is I'm going to jump ahead. and You don't need to turn there. I'm going to jump ahead to Genesis 19 and I'm going to show you where he ends up. Are you with me? And then we're going to go back, and I'm going to show you how he got there. So uh, I'm going to read a little bit from Genesis 19. I'm reading verses 30 to 36. Again, I'm not going to read the whole passage. I'm just going to hit the highlights. Now, this is where Lot ends up. It says, Now Lot went up out of Zoar, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. So they made their father drink wine, and they lay with him. And thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father that's where the man ends up now that is horrific the man is so overcome with fear at this point in his life they won't even live in the city if he lived today we we'd say he had panic attacks or we would diagnose him with an anxiety disorder he literally moves out of the city takes his two daughters and goes up and lives in a cave With with no one around him. His daughters, they get all frantic because their daddy's getting old. They don't know who's going to take care of them. So they concoct some crazy plan. One of them gets him drunk one night, goes in and sleeps with him. The next night, the other one gets him drunk, sleeps with him, and they end up having children. A man living in a cave committing incest. That is horrific. That's worse than the, the, the drunk in the gutter. That's worse in the, than the, than the drug addict in the ER. I mean, this man ends up at a, at a terrible, terrible place, but he wasn't always like that. In fact, he was a, he was a wealthy man at one point. It, it, he had a, a wife that loved him and he loved her. In fact, he was actually a city councilman in the city that he, that he lived in. He wasn't always like that guy. So what happened to this wealthy, family man who's a city councilman, a leader in his community, that he would go to living in a cave, committing incest with his daughters. Well, what happened was he made choices. It all, In fact, it all starts with one choice. So let's stop our little show right here and let's back up and let's see when we're first introduced to Lot. Now, we're first introduced to Lot in Genesis chapter 12, and we won't go there and read all it. I'll just kind of encapsulate it for you. God comes down and there's a man named Abram and God will eventually change this man's name to Abraham. He's a pagan. Uh, he's living in the area of Mesopotamia, which is modern day uh, Iraq, uh, between the uh, Tigris and Euphrates River, uh, an area that even today is known as the Fertile Crescent. He's living in this city and he's, and God comes down and says, man, I, I want to, I want to do something with you. I want you to leave your family, I want you to leave your homeland, I want you to leave your city, and I want you to go to a land that I'm going to show you. I'm going to give you this land, which is, of course, modern-day Israel, and I'm going to make out of you a multitude of nations. And so Abram does that. He gets up and leaves. And when he leaves, he takes his nephew with him, who is a man named Lot. So he he says, man, I'm, I'm going with you, Uncle Abram. So they go, and over the next few years, they travel up through Mesopotamia, they 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 abide for a while in Israel, they end up going down to Egypt. I mean, they're nomads, they're shepherds, right? So they're constantly moving. And over the course of time, they came to a point in their relationship where there was a decision that had to be made. We pick up our story in Genesis 13, 5 through 6. It says, And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, So the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. Now, in all of their adventures and stuff, they both became very, very wealthy. Had a lot of camels, had a lot of cattle, had a lot of sheep. And the point, it came where they couldn't dwell together. Their their shepherds and their herdsmen were arguing with each other over water rights and grazing rights. and, And so it came to a point that they realized, okay, we need to separate. Now... What I want you to see about this, it's not a bad thing. It's not a sinful thing. It's just life, right? Just life happens. Sometimes you just have to make choices. Not, nobody's done anybody wrong. They just became so wealthy that they needed to separate. So they have, it gets to the point where they're going to have to make a choice. And again, this choice that they're about to make, one of them is going to lead to blessings, and the other is going to lead to disaster. Let's continue reading in verses 8 through 9. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you. Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, I'll take the right. You take the right hand, I'll take the left. Now let's stop right there. What I want you to see about this is Abram is the uncle. He's the leader of the family. He has every right to make the choice. It's his choice to make, not Lot's. Okay. In fact, by the way, when God called him out of Mesopotamia, he says, I'm going to give you that land. God's promised him the land, not Lot. But Abram does something that... I remember back reading this a few months ago, and this really made an impact on me. He graciously abdicates his rights. He steps back and he says, Lot, you choose. I mean, who does that today? Who, who gives up their rights to let somebody else? Because here's the thing, you understand, he's putting himself in a position where he can be taken advantage of, isn't he? I mean, somebody was watching that, they'd say, Abram, man, that's, that's the dumbest thing you've ever done. Don't, don't do that. You need to choose. You're the uncle. You're the elder. You're, you're, it's your right to do that. But he doesn't. Now, I ask myself, why would he do that? Is it because he's some kind of spiritual superhero? By the way, we need to stop thinking. Sometimes we read the Bible and, and we see the characters in the Bible and we think there's some kind of, they're on a different level than we are. A different, no, they're not. They're just people. They're just like us. Same fears, same worries, same anxiety, same, same everything. He's not doing it because he's some kind of spiritual superhero. In fact, the passage tells us exactly why he's doing it. He says, let's don't argue because we're family. We're kinsmen. Y'all see that? You see, what mattered to Abram more than his own rights was family. What mattered to him was, was that they were kinsmen. The relationship. He put the relationship over his own rights. Do, do, you, do you realize how much strife we could avoid in our own families? How much strife we could avoid... In our, in our churches, how much strife we could avoid in, in general in life if we would put a, a, a priority on, on relationships and let our rights take a back seat. Do you understand that? Now, as I was preparing this message, I started chasing a rabbit. Y'all know what that means, right? It means I start on that subject and I kind of go down a trail. I'm going to chase a rabbit for a minute here. Last Sunday, you guys came in and, and these were on every chair. For those that, and this morning they're out there. This says, each one, reach one. And what this is about is the staff is encouraging us as a church to reach out in our families, on our jobs, in our schools, uh, in the community, and try to reach somebody and bring them in uh, to River of Life. And, 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 and most of all, bring them to a relationship with Christ. And there's there's some things you can do, right? You can invite them to church. You can share a testimony. But as I was preparing this message, and I got to this part, I I began to realize something. You know, for this to work, it's got to be more than a program. It's got to be more than a program. It's got to be more than just, you know, uh, inviting them to church. It's got to be a part of who we are. So here's my question this morning: Would you be willing? to put your rights aside in order that somebody can come to know Jesus Christ? Would you be willing to elevate somebody's relationship with Jesus Christ even higher than your own rights to see that happen? And you may think, what is he talking about? I'm going to give you an example. Let's say today, after church, you and I go out to eat. And I ran my mouth too long, and we didn't get out of here in the, in the traffic. And we get to the restaurant, and it's packed, right? Right? And the hostess says, Man, it's gonna be about ten minutes. Well, it ends up being forty minutes. You ever been there? And and you get in and and it's packed, and, and the and the waitress comes over, and lo and behold, she started last Thursday. So now we're late, the, the waitress is is stumbling around. She don't she you can tell she don't quite figure out what she's doing. Finally they get our order, they go off. It just seems an interminable amount of time. Finally, she comes back, she got the order on. Right? And the food's cold. And we just say, Never mind, we're we're about to, you know, we're about to die and and just give us our food. And so y'all ever been had anybody here had one of them meals? Now here's what we do we come home and we jump on Facebook. And we get on Facebook and we rip I'm gonna put it very bluntly, we rip them a new one. That wait that hostess lied to us. That waitress was terrible. The owner of that business, he he needs to do something else. He don't even know what he's doing. And we just, we let everybody know how we were done wrong. Now, let me tell you something. You got every right to do that. That's your right. This is America. Free speech and all that. You got the right. But Now, let me ask you a question. Is that waitress ever going to come to River of Life? Is that hostess ever going to come to River of Life? Is that owner of that business ever going to have any inclination to come to River of Life? Let me give you another one. Let's say you have some work done at your house. Electrician, plumber, heating and air, carpenter, whatever. They come to your house and they do some work and something doesn't go quite right. Right? Something, there was a miscommunication and maybe they didn't do what, they didn't do what you thought they were going to do or something breaks. By the way, that's life. It's just life. See, the choice becomes what are you going to do with that? See, what happened to, to Abram and Lot, it's just life. That's not a, it, the thing is, what are you going to do with this, Abram? And Abram says, I put the relationship ahead of my own rights. See, that question with that plumber or that electrician or that heating and air or that carpenter, you get on Facebook and you just, man, they're terrible. Don't do business with them. They, they, they're just, they completely lied to me. They, they did this, they did that. And by the way, a week later, somebody from River of Life meets that person and invites them to church. Says, I want you to come to River of Life, and they say, "Well, doesn't that other person <laughs> that just ripped me on face? Don't they go to River of Life? I don't know if they're really teaching things there. That I, are you with me? Are we willing to do that to see somebody else put our rights aside? By the way, we got rights. I get it. We have every right to do that. The question is, are we willing to abdicate our rights and put the relationship first? Abram did. And it made all the difference in his life. Now, let's pick back up. We've circled off the rabbit trail and we've come back. So, Abram had a choice and he says, Lot, you choose. So, Lot, now the ball's in his court, okay? Now, I want you to see he had several options here. He, he's not limited. The first thing he could have done, he could have said, no, uncle, I appreciate that. You're, you're a good man, but no, this is your choice. You're the leader of this family. You're the elder. God has promised you the land. You, you choose it. I, thank you, but, but no thank you. He could have done that, but he didn't. He, he could have said, they're, they're, they're actually up on a hill. They're looking down over the Jordan Valley. And the Jordan Valley's got the Jordan River flowing through it, and the, and the grass, it's just a lush area. He could have said, here's what we'll do, Uncle. You take the west side, I'll take the east. We'll just split that valley right down the middle. You take your half, and I'll take mine, and that'll, he could have done that. And that would have been fair, but he didn't. Now, he doesn't know it at this point, but he's about to make a choice that's going to ruin his life. He doesn't know it right now, but it's going to ruin his life. So how will he choose? Look at verse 10. It says, And Lot lifted up his eyes, and he saw the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. He looks up and he looks at that Jordan Valley and dollar signs go, ding, ding, ding. That's where the money is. That's where the prosperity is. That, that, if I take that Jordan Valley, that's going to ensure my, boy, my, me and my descendants, we're going to be well off. I, I'm going to, this, that, that's where I'm going to go. Let me tell you, Lot made a choice that many American Christians do. He made a life decision based on the assumption that the pursuit of prosperity should be our main goal in life. That's what he did. And so he chooses. Now, we've already seen where the story's going to end. The man's going to be living in a cave in fear, committing incest with his own daughters. Verse 11 tells us how he got there. It says this, So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. There's the statement. Lot chose for who? Himself. What do I want? What do I think? What do I need? No mention in there, what does God want me to do? What, what would God, what would, be, what would bring glory to Him? What would be to His benefit? No mention of that. No mention there of Uncle Abraham. No, no, I, nothing there about what, what would be best for Abraham. And even worst of all, no, no even, there, there's not even a thought there for how this would affect his family spiritually. This is going to destroy his family, and, and he don't even think about it. It's just, what's best for me? What, what, what fits in with, with, with me? And it says he chose for himself. In other words, he did a really good job of looking out for number one. Now, here's the thing about choices. We started off talking about that little creek that runs along the continental divide, and it, and, and it makes a turn. You see, once you make a turn, one choice leads to what? another, and another. There's no going back. You've done made the choice now. And that's exactly what happened to Lot. Let's pick the story up in verses 12 through 13. It says, Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley, and he moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord." Stop right there. A lot, over the years, has gotten a lot of criticism. That his, they said, you know, his mistake was getting right up next to Sodom. No, his mis- that, that wasn't his mistake. His mistake's what's in his heart. That's, that's not the problem. That's a symptom of the problem that's in his heart. It's what's in your heart. It's your character that drives your choices. See, it wasn't that. By the way... We, we, we look at Lot and say, you know, he moved up there by the Sodomites and they were real evil and that's what, that's what happened. No. By the way, Abraham is still in Canaan. The Canaanites are just about as bad as the Sodomites. In fact, if you try to compare the Canaanites to the Sodomites, it's like, it's like comparing Stalin and Hitler. Hitler might be worse, but they're both bad. So it's not like Abram stayed up in this little pristine area where there wasn't any... No, he was surrounded by evil people, but he remained untainted. All of his life he remained untainted while Lot wasn't. Now I want to know the answer to that. What was the difference? Why why was Abraham able to live in an evil world, an evil culture, and remained untainted while Lot wasn't? I want to read a, a scripture versus continuing our story verses 17 through 18. God comes to Abraham after him and Lot have separated. And I'm sure. One of Abram's friends might have been saying, Abram, that was the dumbest thing you ever did. That boy just stabbed you in the back. You, You look at, he got all the good stuff, and you up here with this dusty soil trying to make a living off of this. And God comes to him in verse 17, and he says this to Abraham, Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. See, at that moment, it looked like he'd been taken advantage of. For that moment, it looked like Lot got the better. But God comes to him and says, You see that land over there where Lot is? Don't worry about that, son. That's your land. It may look for now like he got it. Don't worry. And by the way, we know where Lot's going, don't we? It ain't going to be good. I'm going to give you that land. C.S. Lewis said this, If you aim at heaven, you'll get earth thrown in. You aim at earth, you'll get neither one. Let me read that again. I always like that quote. If you aim at heaven, you'll get earth thrown in. But if you aim at earth, you'll get neither one of them. So that's what Abram got. He said, okay, Lord, I choose you. You work all this out. And God says, okay, I'm not going to give you heaven, I'm going to give you all of this. Verse 18. It says, Abram moved his tent, and he went and dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and he built an altar there to the Lord. There are two words in that verse that tell us what kind of man Abram was. They are tent and altar. For his whole life, the man never lived in a house, never moved into a city. He lived in a tent his entire life. And the point of that is he never bought into the lie that this is all it is. He never bought into the lie that this world is what it's all about. He, he never bought into that. And then the other thing you always see is everywhere he moved, he always built an altar. He always remembered God. God was always first and foremost in his life. Living in a tent with an internal perspective, building an altar, remembering that God is in control, that God is going to work everything out. Now you may say to me, "Well, we just read that last verse and, and it said that Lot moved up next to Sodom and he lived in a tent. He did, but not for long. As we move ahead in our story, and we won't turn to these, as we move ahead in our story, he, when we left him, he's living outside Lot. A few years later, a war breaks out. And some kings from Mesopotamia come down and they, they make war against the city of Sodom. And that day, Sodom was a very wealthy city. And so it had to defend itself. And so these kings came down and made war. And in Genesis 14, 11 and 12, it says this, So the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions, and they went their way. And they also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was living in Sodom. Now... We know a little bit more. Started out, he's up there with Uncle Abraham. He chooses to live in the valley. He moves right up next to the city. But a chapter a few years later, he's moved into the city. Now, we all know the story probably of Sodom and Gomorrah. God looks down and sees that Sodom is so bad. I mean, this place is terrible. And so God comes to Abraham and he says, Man, I'm going to destroy those cities of the valley. And Abraham intercedes with God and, and, and says, if you can find anybody righteous, please save them. And it turns out that God, on, b- because of Abraham, he decides to save Lot and his family. So he sends two angels to destroy the cities. And the two angels come to the city. And I want to read the first verse in Genesis 19. I want to show you something else about Lot. It says, the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. Now see... In that day, that's where the city leaders sat. That's where they didn't have courthouses and things like that. The leaders would actually sit in the gate, and that's where you conducted all your legal business, your real estate transactions, uh, any kind of financial things. So the, the fact that he's sitting in the gate tells us he's actually a leader of the city. He starts out living in a tent, then he's living in the city. Now he's actually a leader of the city. Now, we all know where this story is going to end, right? The angels literally, if you go back and read it, the angels literally had to grab them by the arm and drag them out of the city. They didn't want to go. And, of course, as they're going out of the city, fire and brimstone falls from the sky. Lot's wife looks back, and she's turned into a pillar of salt. And Lot, now this boy must have loved city life. Lot says, hey, you see that little city over there? There's a little city over there called Zoar. Can you spare that city so I can go live in it? Didn't want to go back and live in the hills with Uncle Abram. See, he done made that choice. And he was going to stick with it through thick and thin. Can you save that little city of Zoar over there so I can live in it? And the angel said, Okay. And so he moves into the city. But at some point, and we don't, the Bible doesn't tell us this. At some point he becomes overcome with fear. To live in that city. As I said, if he lived today, we'd probably... Of course, you know, listen. All he's been through with fire and brimstone, and his, no wonder the boy's shaky, right? Um, so he just finally gets out of there, moves up into a cave, and the rest is history. Now, at this point, I've got something relatively shocking to tell you. You see, it's very easy for us to look at Abram and Lot and see how they made choices and say, Well, Derek, of course... They went different ways. Abram is a believer, and Lot is an unbeliever. And the Bible teaches us, if you're a believer and you trust in God, and, you know, He's going to bless you, and think good things are going to happen, and if you're, a, if you're an unbeliever, I mean, it's going to go bad for you. And by the way, if all we had was the Genesis record, I would agree with you. But the Bible tells us something different. Second Peter chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. This is the Apostle Peter talking about Lot. Says this, and if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. According to the New Testament, Lot is a believer. Now, this changes everything. Now, all of a sudden, we're not talking about a believer and unbeliever, we're talking about a worldly believer. You see, Lot was a righteous man. Paul said, as he's living in that city, all the stuff that's going on around him, and we can kind of understand this, don't we? All the stuff that's going on around you, is just bothering you. It's troubling you. But it didn't trouble him enough to leave the city. It didn't trouble him enough to turn his back on the culture. See, in the end, yes, he's a believer, but he's a believer who loves the things of the world. Now let me tell you, if I put Abraham on this end of the spectrum, and I put Lot over here, and I put myself in this group, a lot of, we're a lot closer to Lot than we are to Abraham. Yes or no? We are a lot closer to Lot when it comes to believers than we are to Abraham. See, in the end, Lot's a believer. Yeah, but he makes his choices not based on spiritual things, not based on what's best spiritually. He just makes his choices on what's best for me. What's going to give me the most money? What's going to give me the most prosperity? What's going to make me feel the best? And in the end, see, don't think, well, I'm a believer, God's going to keep me from all that. No, if you make bad choices, there'll be bad consequences. Don't, Don't think that God's going to insulate you from all of that. Even as a believer... You make those kind of choices, God will let that, thing, he'll let that thing play out. Abraham put God first in all that he did, and his choices reflected that, and God blessed him tremendously. Lot, who's also a believer, put himself first, and his choices reflected that, and it led to absolute disaster. I'm going to close, and um, I'm going to ask uh, Carolyn if she'll come in a minute, and, and uh, Brother Bill's going to come. But before we do, I want to say a couple things. First of all, we're talking about choices, but if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, let me just say this. There is one choice that you should make in front of all other choices. Because let me tell you this, until you choose Christ, all of your choices are bad choices. Let me say it again. If you haven't chosen Christ, then all of your, bad, all of your choices are bad choices because I don't care what they are, they're leading you to hell. That's just the way it is. There's one choice. There's one place up on that ridge where the water can turn to follow Christ. And so I implore you, if you're here today and you don't know Him, that's the choice today. That's the glaring choice. That choice will be there. That's the one that you have to make. Now, I want to talk real quickly to some of you here who are believers. Most of us tend to think as of, of our Christian commitment as, this, as one big, bold choice, right? Maybe it was a Sunday morning and you were sitting in church and they played, I surrender all, all to Jesus, I surrender. And you walked down an aisle and you did that. You said, Lord, I, I choose you. I make a commitment to you. But you see, here's the thing, Lot did that. Lot made the bold commitment. Years before when he had to leave his homeland, when he had to abandon his family, abandon his house, abandon everything he knew to follow up Uncle Abraham, he did that. He made the bold choices. You see, Lot's problem wasn't with the big things. It was with the little things that he struggled. And I'm afraid that's the problem with us in our Christian life. It wasn't the bold choice to follow Christ that we struggled with. It's the little choices we make every day where we end up putting ourselves in front of him. Let me let me put it another way, and maybe this will help you understand it. It, it did me. Let's say that all we've got to our name is a thousand dollar bill. It's all you got, one thousand dollar bill, right there. And you come to God, and you say, God, I give it all to you. I lay out, I'm, I'm making the bold choice. I lay it all out there to you. And God says, Son, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take that thousand dollars and go to the bank, and I want you to change it into quarters. Because I, I, even though he appreciates the $1,000, what he wants you to do is make those $0.25 cent choices every day. See, it's a $0.25 choices where you live out the life of faith. Not a, it's not one big, I'm going to go out, go down and make a commitment. It's that, then you walk out of here and it's the $0.25 cent choice here. It's the, it's the $0.50 cent choice here. It's a $0.75 cent choice here. That's how a life of faith is lived out, the little things in life. How are we going to make those choices? Are we going to put God first? Are we going to put our rights and the relationships of others ahead of that? Or are we just going to do what we want to do? As I said, I'm going to ask uh, Carolyn if she'll come. I'm going to ask Brother Bill if he'll handle the invitation this morning. Um, But again, two things here. If you're not a believer, choose Jesus. Choose Jesus. I can guarantee you, guarantee you, that you will never, ever regret that. And believers, if you're here this morning, can I say the same thing? Choose Christ. You may have already chose Him once, and that changed your life, but can I ask you to do this? Choose Him every day. Choose Him every day. When life happens, when when the restaurant goes bad, when, when it's just one of those things, choose Christ. Choose Christ, not how I feel. Not, not uh, Choose Christ. When you got to make decisions, choose Christ. Let's pray.
0: Father, thank you again for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or you need someone to pray with you, then please let us know. You can call us at 850-926-1200 or send an email to info at riveroflifefl.com. We also encourage you to visit River of Life this Sunday at 10.30 a.m. in Crawfordville. For more information, visit us at riveroflifefl.com.